After reciting the Tashahud, Ta'awz, and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalifa Masih V, Ayyadullah Ta'ala bin Asil Aziz, stated, In the previous Friday sermon, I spoke about the martyrdom of Hazrat Usman, the rebels, as well as Hazrat Ali's efforts in this regard. With regards to events mentioned relating to Hazrat Ali, Hazrat Muslim Aud, has elaborated on an extremely important matter. Hazrat Muslim states As you are similar to the companions of the Holy Prophet. It is my desire to present historical events demonstrating how Muslims fell into disarray and what were the reasons that led to this division. Therefore, take heed from this and educate those who join you in the future. That is, they should be given correct moral training and religious education. The disorder that emerged during the time of Hazrat Usman was not instigated by the companions. Those who say that this mischief was caused by the companions are mistaken. There is no doubt that many companions stood in opposition to Hazrat Ali and many stood in opposition to Muawiyah. However, I say that the companions were not the cause of this disorder. Rather, it was those who joined Islam later and were not fortunate enough to have received the companionship of the Holy Prophet and never sat in his company. Hence, I draw your attention towards this and inform you of the method to abstain and protect yourself from this disorder, and that is to frequently and repeatedly come to Qadian, as a Muslim was in Qadian at the time, so that your faith is rejuvenated and so that you increase in your fear of Allah. In other words, 
It is so that you remain firmly attached with the center as well as with Khilafat. If this bond remains firm, then you will also receive the correct moral training. Nowadays, Allah the Almighty has blessed us with MTA. The sermons are listened to and broadcast across the entire world. There are also other programs that are shown. Therefore, it is essential for your moral training that apart from personally studying the books of the Promised Messiah you can watch MTA regularly. You should particularly listen to the Friday sermons on MTA so that your relationship with Khilafat remains firm and continues to increase and strengthen. With regards to the battle of the camel, it is mentioned in narrations that this battle was fought between Hazrat Ali and Hazrat Aisha in the 36th year after the migration from Makkah to Medina. Hazrat Talha and Hazrat Zubair were also on the side of Hazrat Aisha. Hazrat Aisha was riding a camel in the battlefield and as such this battle is known as the Battle of the Camel. <laughs> Hazrat Aisha anha, had travelled to Makkah in order to perform Hajj and she was staying there when she received the news of the martyrdom of Hazrat Usman anhu. After completing the Umrah, she headed towards Medina. On the way, at a place called Sarf, Ubaid bin Abi Salama informed her that Hazrat Uthman had been martyred. Hazrat Ali had been elected as the Caliph and that there was great chaos in Medina. Hence, Hazrat Aisha turned back towards Makkah and gathered the people in order to avenge the killing of Hazrat Usman and to put an end to the disorder. Many people had gathered together under the leadership of Hazrat Talha, Hazrat Zubair bin Awam and Hazrat Aisha. Hence, their convoy set off towards Basra. Upon receiving news of this convoy, Hazrat Ali anhu also set off towards Basra. Upon arrival in Basra, Hazrat Aisha invited the inhabitants to join forces with her, and a large number did so. However, one party pledged to support Uthman bin Hunayf Hazrat Ali's appointed governor of Basra. During this time, both parties clashed. Hazrat Ali's army arrived and they set up camp near the army of Hazrat Aisha. Both parties made proposals to reconcile and negotiations were successful. However, during the night, a party that was involved in the murder of Hazrat Uthman 
and had joined Hazrat Ali's army, attacked the army of Hazrat Aisha, and this triggered the start of the battle. Hazrat Aisha was riding a camel. One after another, loyal followers of Hazrat Aisha grabbed hold of the reins of her camel and were martyred. Hazrat Ali realized that as long as Hazrat Aisha was riding the camel, the war would not come to an end. Hence, he ordered his soldiers to somehow kill and bring down the camel as the end of the war was linked to that. Upon this, an individual stepped forward and pierced his sword into the foot of the camel. The camel gave out a cry and sat down and the army of Hazrat Ali surrounded the camel from all sides. Upon the fall of Hazrat Aisha's camel, the people of the camel, i.e. those who had fought on the side of Hazrat Aisha, dispersed. Following this, Hazrat Ali announced that whoever surrenders or closes the door to their home will remain safe and protected. No one should be chased, nor should anyone's possessions be seized, nor considered to be spoils of war. The army of Hazrat Ali followed these orders. Hazrat Zubair bin Awam and Hazrat Talha anhuma, were martyred during this very battle. This is a summary of one historical account presented by Ibn Athir. In this regard, Hazrat Khalif al-Masih II states, A group from among those people who murdered Hazrat Uthman went to Hazrat Aisha and urged her to declare jihad against those who killed Hazrat Uthman. Thus, Hazrat Aisha declared jihad and asked the companions to assist her in this regard. Hazrat Talha and Hazrat Zubair joined her. Subsequently, a battle ensued between the armies of Hazrat Ali and Hazrat Aisha, Hazrat Talha and Hazrat Zubair. Hazrat Talha and Hazrat Zubair were part of Hazrat Aisha's army. A battle took place between the main armies of Hazrat Aisha and Hazrat Ali. This battle is known as jang jamal In the beginning of this battle, upon hearing the words of the Holy Prophet's prophecy from Hazrat Ali, Hazrat Zubair separated himself and vowed that he would not fight against Hazrat Ali. Hazrat Zubair accepted that he had been mistaken in his interpretation of the matter. Similarly, Hazrat Talha also pledged allegiance to Hazrat Ali prior to his demise. I mentioned this in the previous sermon also. Because it is mentioned in narrations that when Hazrat Talha was lying injured and breathing his last, a man walked by him. Hazrat Talha asked him, Which group do you belong to? He replied that he was from Hazrat Ali's group. Upon this, Hazrat Talha held his hand and said, Your hand is that of Ali's, and I pledge allegiance to Ali again at your hands. Thus, any dispute between the companions was resolved after the jang jamal But the dispute with Hazrat Muawiyah remained, as a result of which the Battle of Sifin took place. Hazrat Khalif II further narrates The killers of Hazrat Uthman spread out to various regions, but in order to save themselves from any culpability, they deflected the blame onto others. When they saw that Hazrat Ali had taken the bayat, i.e., the Pledge of Allegiance, from the Muslims, they found an excellent opportunity to level allegations against Hazrat Ali. It is true that from among those around Hazrat Ali, were some who were involved in assassinating Hazrat Uthman This gave them the perfect opportunity to level allegations against Hazrat Ali. 
Similarly, the group that went to Makkah encouraged Hazrat Aisha that she should declare jihad in order to avenge the blood of Hazrat Uthman. Therefore, she made this declaration and asked the companions to help her in this regard. Hazrat Talha and Hazrat Zubair had pledged allegiance to Hazrat Ali on the condition that he would bring the killers of Hazrat Usman to justice swiftly. Their interpretation of swift was contrary to Hazrat Ali's view, as according to Hazrat Ali, taking action swiftly was not conducive to the situation at the time. He thought, i.e. Hazrat Ali thought, that firstly all the Muslim lands should be united, and then they should turn their attention to dealing with the killers of Hazrat Uthman, because safeguarding Islam took precedence. There would not be any harm in delaying taking action against them. Furthermore, there was a dispute in identifying who the killers were. The people who were the first to go to Hazrat Ali under the guise of despondency and expressing their concern for the threat of division within Islam, it was only natural that Hazrat Ali would not suspect them of being the architects of this mischief. Other people, however, suspected them. Hazrat Ali did not suspect them, but certain other people had their doubts about them. Owing to this suspicion, Talha and Zubair thought that Hazrat Ali went back on his word because they had pledged allegiance on a particular condition and according to them, Hazrat Ali did not fulfill this condition. Therefore, in accordance with the Sharia, they deemed themselves to be absolved from their bed. When they heard about Hazrat Aisha's call, they joined her and they all went to Basra. The governor of Basra tried to prevent the residents from joining them. However, when they discovered that Talha and Zubair pledged allegiance under coercion and had stipulated a condition with their bayat, the majority of the residents joined them. When Hazrat Ali received news of this army, he too prepared his army and departed for Basra. Upon arrival in Basra, Hazrat Ali sent a man to Hazrat Aisha, Hazrat Talha and Hazrat Zubair. He first went to Hazrat Aisha and asked what was the reason of her coming there. She replied that she only wanted reformation. He then called Talha and Zubair and asked if they too had come for the same purpose, i.e. for reformation, to which they replied in the affirmative. This person then said, If you seek reformation, then this is not the way to achieve it. This will only cause disorder. The situation prevalent throughout the land is such that if you kill one person, a thousand more will rise up in support of that individual and challenge you. This will in turn incite even more people to rise up. This will set off a chain of events which will continue. Thus at present reformation entails to first unite everyone and then turn our attention to punishing the evil ones. Given the current unrest, punishing anyone now will only lead to more disorder and chaos. First the authority should be established and that will then enforce the punishment. They responded by saying, If this is Hazrat Ali's viewpoint, then very well, we are prepared to meet him. This person returned to Hazrat Ali and related the entire account to him. 
Hence, representatives of both parties met with one another. They mutually agreed that fighting was not correct and it would be better to reconcile. When this news reached the Sabais, i.e. the party of Abdullah bin Sabah, who were part of the group that had killed Hazrat Uthman, they became extremely anxious and a party among them gathered in secrecy for consultation. After consultation, they concluded that if the Muslims were to reconcile with one another, it would prove extremely unfavorable for them because they knew that they would only evade punishment for the killing of Hazrat Uthman as long as Muslims continue to fight against one another. They knew that if there was peace and harmony amongst the Muslims, they would have no escape. Therefore, no matter what, they could not allow this to happen. In the meantime, Hazrat Ali also arrived, and on the second day after his arrival, he and Hazrat Zubair met. During this meeting, Hazrat Ali stated to Hazrat Zubair, You have indeed prepared an army to fight against me, but have you also prepared a justification for this which you shall present before your Lord? Why are you all adamant to destroy Islam with your very hands, which you once served by endangering your own lives? Am I not your brother? Why is it that spilling the blood of one another was deemed unlawful before, and yet now it has become permissible? It would be understandable if a new injunction had been revealed. But when that is not the case, why then do you stand in opposition? Hazrat Talha was also with Hazrat Zubair at the time and replied, You incited those who killed Hazrat Uthman. I curse all those who were involved in the killing of Hazrat Uthman, said Hazrat Ali. Addressing Hazrat Zubair, Hazrat Ali then stated, Do you not recall that the Holy Prophet once stated, by God, you will fight against Ali and you will be amongst the transgressors, i.e. referring to Hazrat Zubair. Upon hearing this, Hazrat Zubair returned to his army and vowed that he would not fight against Hazrat Ali and admitted that he had erred in his interpretation of the affairs. When this news spread amongst his army, they were content that battle would no longer take place between them and in fact the two parties would reconcile. However, the rebels who sought to spread mischief became anxious and it was only natural that they would become worried. Therefore, they devised a plan in order to prevent them from reconciling. When night fell, those who had infiltrated in Hazrat Ali's army launched an attack against the army of Hazrat Aisha, Hazrat Talha and Hazrat Zubair, whilst those who had infiltrated in their camp did vice versa i.e. they attacked Hazrat Ali's army. The hypocrites had joined both sides of the armies, Hazrat Aisha's and Hazrat Ali's. Subsequently, both sides of the hypocrites launched an attack. They did not fight amongst themselves. Consequently, this led to chaos and both armies assumed that the other had deceived them. But in actuality, this was a ploy of Abdullah bin Sabah's men. Once the battle had commenced, Hazrat Ali called for someone to inform Hazrat Aisha 
as perhaps God Almighty may quell the disorder through her. Subsequently, Hazrat Aisha's camel was brought forward, but this led to an even more perilous situation because the rebels, fearing that their ploy was going to fail once again, began to shoot their arrows in the direction of Hazrat Aisha's camel. Hazrat Aisha began to loudly proclaim, O people, cease fighting and recall Allah the Almighty and the Day of Reckoning. However, the rebels refused to pay heed and continued to shoot arrows at Hazrat Aisha's camel. The people of Basra were with the army of Hazrat Aisha and upon witnessing these scenes and dishonor of Ummul Mu'mineen, Hazrat Aisha, they became extremely infuriated and drew out their swords and launched an attack against the opposing army. Subsequently, Hazrat Aisha's camel became the focal point of the battle. Many companions and valiant men stood around the camel and one by one they began to be slain but would not let go of the camel's reins. Hazrat Zubair did not take part in the battle and had distanced himself to one side. However, a wretched individual went from behind whilst he was in a state of prayer and martyred him. Hazrat Talha was martyred in the battlefield and was killed at the hands of the rebels. When the battle intensified, some of the men realized that the only way to stop the battle was by removing Hazrat Aisha from the battlefield. Therefore, they cut the legs of the camel and placed the camel litter in which Hazrat Aisha was sat onto the ground. It was only then that the battle stopped. Upon witnessing this entire incident, Hazrat Ali's face became red with sorrow. But there was nothing else that could be done either. When Hazrat Ali saw the body of Hazrat Talha amongst those who were martyred during the battle, he expressed deep sorrow. From these events, it is evidently clear that the companions were at no fault in this battle, and this was all owing to the evil ploy of those rebels who had killed Hazrat Usman. Moreover, Hazrat Talha and Hazrat Zubair passed away whilst in the bayat of Hazrat Ali because they had turned back from their original intentions and had resolved to support Hazrat Ali. However, they were killed at the hands of the rebels. Hazrat Ali cursed those who killed them. Upon the conclusion of the Battle of the Camel, Hazrat Ali prepared all the provisions for Hazrat Aisha's journey and went along with Hazrat Aisha himself. He ensured that all those who wished to go with Hazrat Aisha also went with her. The day Hazrat Aisha was to depart, Hazrat Ali went to see Hazrat Aisha and stood in her presence. She came out in the presence of everyone and said, O my sons, due to our actions, we have caused you pain as a result of which we were at odds with one another. As of now, no one shall commit injustices against one another on account of the differences we had between us. By God, there was never any dispute between me and Hazrat Ali except for the minor disagreements one can have with their in-laws. In other words, very minor issues. My pious deeds are dependent upon my obedience to Hazrat Ali. Upon this, Hazrat Ali stated, O people, this statement of Hazrat Aisha is indeed excellent and full of truth.
these were the only issues we had between us. Hazrat Aisha is the noble wife of your blessed Prophet in this world and in the hereafter. Hazrat Ali then walked for several miles with Hazrat Aisha to see her off and instructed his sons to go with her and return after one day. This reference which I just quoted is from Tabari. Hazrat Muslim states, Hazrat Talha remained alive after the demise of the Holy Prophet After the martyrdom of Hazrat Usman, dissension began amongst the Muslims. Hazrat Talha, Hazrat Zubair and Hazrat Aisha were leaders of the party which was of the opinion that revenge should be sought against those who killed Hazrat Usman. On the other hand, the other party was led by Hazrat Ali and were of the opinion that man was indeed a mortal being. But since Muslims had become divided, therefore the foremost need was to unite the Muslims in order to re-establish the glory and grandeur of Islam and revenge could be taken later. This disagreement escalated to such an extent that Hazrat Talha, Hazrat Zubair and Hazrat Aisha alleged that Hazrat Ali wanted to grant refuge to those who had martyred Hazrat Uthman. Hazrat Ali, on the other hand, alleged that they were giving preference to their personal interests and were not thinking of what was beneficial to Islam by insisting to take revenge immediately. This disagreement went to the most extreme level and resulted in a battle between them. A battle in which Hazrat Aisha took command of one of the armies. Hazrat Aisha mounted upon her camel and would encourage others to fight and Hazrat Al-Talha and Zubair were also part of this battle. Whilst the battle was taking place, a companion approached Hazrat Talha and said, O Talha, do you remember, on such and such occasion, you were sat in the company of the Holy Prophet and he stated, Talha, there will come a time when you will be part of an army and Ali will be part of a different army. However, Ali will be on the side of the truth and you will be the one in error. Hazrat Talha heard this and immediately realized and said, Yes, I recall this. He then left the army at once. And as he was walking away from the battle so that he could fulfill the words of the Holy Prophet a wretched individual who was fighting from Hazrat Ali's army went from behind and stabbed Hazrat Talha in the back, resulting in his martyrdom. At the time, Hazrat Ali was sat in his camp, and the one who had committed the killing of Hazrat Talha, thinking that he would receive a great reward, ran towards Hazrat Ali and said, O leader of the faithful, I give you tidings that your enemy has been killed. Hazrat Ali asked, Who was the enemy? He replied, O leader of the faithful, I have killed Talha. Hazrat Ali replied to him, I also give you tidings from the Messenger of Allah that you will be thrown into the hellfire because the Holy Prophet once said in a gathering in which Talha and I both were present, O Talha, for the sake of the truth and establishing justice, you will have to endure indignity and you will be killed by an individual 
who God Almighty will cast into hell. Then there was the battle of Sifin. Regarding its details, it is mentioned that it was a battle that took place between Hazrat Ali and Amir Muawiyah in 37 Hijri. Sifin is the name of an area located between Syria and Iraq. Hazrat Ali left Kufa along with his army and when they reached Sifin, they saw the Syrian army under the command of Amir Muawiyah had already set up camp and one section of the army had taken over a valley near the Euphrates River. Hazrat Ali assured them that they had not come to fight but instead had come to reconcile their differences. However, Amir Muawiyah was not willing to reconcile. The Syrian army stopped the army of Hazrat Ali from accessing the water from the Euphrates River. Upon this, Hazrat Ali ordered his army to launch an attack and they succeeded in pushing the Syrian army to retreat and thus establishing their access to the river. Hazrat Ali, however, allowed the Syrian army to access the water from the Euphrates River. The Syrian army had prevented Hazrat Ali from accessing water from the Euphrates River. But when Hazrat Ali took control of the river, he permitted them to access his water. Amir Muawiyah insisted that Hazrat Ali should hand over those who had carried out the killing of Hazrat Usman. At one point, there was a potential danger that a battle was going to break out. However, some of the peacekeepers prevented this from happening and established calm. The battle took place in 37 Hijri, but prior to the actual battle commencing, small skirmishes broke out, but both parties abstained from engaging in a full battle considering its dangerous consequences. Both parties ensured to utilize all means possible in order to bring about reconciliation, and thus both agreed that they should enter a temporary agreement of peace during the sacred months. However, this effort of theirs also proved unsuccessful, and so at the beginning of the month of Safar, the actual battle was formally declared once again. For quite some time, the fighting continued without any conclusive victory, and Amir Mavia's resolve began to weaken. In such precarious circumstances, Hazrat Amr bin As advised that they should tie the copies of the Qur'an onto the tip of their spears and announced that they should settle the matter in accordance to the Qur'an. Thus they did exactly this, and as a result a disagreement arose between Hazrat Ali's men. A large party among them stated that their plea to adjudicate the matter by the Book of Allah should not be rejected. Subsequently Hazrat Ali commanded the vanguard of the army to return, and thus the battle stopped. Majority of the army of Hazrat Ali accepted the suggestion presented by Amir Muawiyah, which was that each party should appoint an arbitrator and they should both reach a verdict based on the Holy Quran. According to the books of history, this incident is known as Tahkim. In any case, the Syrians appointed Hazrat Amr bin As as their representative and Hazrat Ali appointed Hazrat Abu Musa Ash'ari. After signing this declaration, both armies dispersed. This is a reference from historical accounts by Ibn Athir. Hazrat Khalib al-Masih II has explained this incident in the following manner. During this battle, Hazrat Muawiyah's men very cleverly placed the Qur'an on their spears and stated that they would accept the verdict of the Qur'an and for this they should each appoint an arbitrator. The rebels who were behind the killing of Hazrat Usman 
and after his martyrdom had immediately joined Hazrat Ali in order to save themselves, began to insist that this was the right decision and urged him to appoint an arbitrator. Hazrat Ali continuously disagreed to the suggestion, but they, along with some other weak-natured people who came under the influence of their deception, compelled Hazrat Ali to appoint a representative. And so, Hazrat Amr bin As was appointed from Muawiyah's side and Hazrat Abu Musa Ashari was appointed from Hazrat Ali's side. This tahkim was essentially to settle the matter relating to how to avenge the killing of Hazrat Usman and the condition they had stipulated was that they would seek the verdict of this matter from the Holy Quran. Therefore, these representatives had been appointed so that they could decide the matter based on the Holy Quran as to how they should punish those who were behind the killings of Hazrat Usman. However, Amr bin As and Abu Musa Ash'ari mutually consulted and decided that it would be better for Hazrat Ali and Hazrat Mir Muawiyah to step down from their roles of leadership. The purpose of Tahkim and appointing the arbitrators were to decide the matter in relation to how to avenge the killing of Hazrat Osman. However, the arbitrators mutually decided that both of them, i.e. Hazrat Ali and Hazrat Muawiyah, should first step down and thereafter they will discuss the matter because they felt that it was owing to the differences between the two that the Muslims were having to endure so much affliction. This was their belief. They further decided that the Muslims should then independently appoint the Khalifa of their choice. However, neither of these arbitrators had been appointed for this purpose. And this line of thinking by both arbitrators was completely incorrect. They had not been appointed to decide on this matter. But in any case, they arranged a gathering for everyone to attend so that they could formally announce their decision. Hazrat Amr bin As asked Hazrat Abu Musa Ashari to make his announcement first and that he will do it after him. Hazrat Abu Musa made the announcement that he absolved Hazrat Ali from his caliphate. Thereafter, Hazrat Amr bin As stood up and announced, Abu Musa has absolved Hazrat Ali from the office of caliphate, and I also agree with this decision of his, and also remove him from this office. However, I will not remove Muawiyah. In fact, I declare that he ought to continue in his role as the emir. As the Muslim old further states, Hazrat Amr bin As was a pious man. However, I will not delve into this debate as to why he made this decision. Despite his piety, he perhaps came under the influence of the people. But leaving this discussion aside, this decision of his was not correct. Upon the announcement of this decision, those who were on the side of Hazrat Muawiyah began to say that the arbitrators who had been appointed had passed their decision in favour of Muawiyah and this was the right decision. However, Hazrat Ali refused to accept his decision. He stated that arbitrators were not appointed for this and nor was their decision based on any Quranic injunction. The same hypocrites who had initially insisted that Hazrat Ali should appoint an arbitrator began to raise a hue and cry 
stating that why were these arbitrators appointed in the first place if they could not pass a verdict in regards to religious matters. Hazrat Ali replied, Firstly, it was stipulated in the initial agreement that their decision would be based on the Qur'an, which they did not fulfill as the decision was not in accordance to the Qur'an. Secondly, these arbitrators, or the arbitrator, was appointed owing to your continuous persistence, and now you are asking me why I appointed them. To this they replied, i.e. the rebels and hypocrites replied, we had spoken foolishly, and whatever we had said was a mistake, but why did you accept what we said? The rebels and hypocrites said, this means that we committed a sin, and you also did the same. We erred, and so did you. However, we seek repentance for our mistake, and you ought to do the same. Moreover, you should admit that whatever you did was wrong. Their intention behind this was that if Hazrat Ali had refused, they would have abandoned their pledge of allegiance to him, saying that he acted contrary to the teachings of Islam and they would therefore no longer uphold their pledge. If Hazrat Ali had refused, they would have abandoned their pledge of allegiance to him, saying that he had acted contrary to the teachings of Islam, and they would no longer uphold their pledge. And if he acknowledged an error on his part, saying he repents, his caliphate would have been rendered false, for how can one who commits a grave sin be the caliph? When Hazrat Ali heard all of this, he said, I have committed no error. As for the matter in which I appointed an arbitrator, this is permissible in light of the Sharia of Islam. Furthermore, when I appointed the arbitrator, I made it clear that I shall accept any decision made in accordance with the Holy Quran and the sayings of the Holy Prophet and if not, then I shall not accept it under any circumstance. As they did not pay any regard to this instruction, nor did they give their verdict in accordance with the purpose with which they were appointed, therefore their decision is not binding upon me. However, they did not accept this explanation of Hazrat Ali and rescinded their pledge of allegiance to him. These people became known as the Khawarij and began propagating the ideology that a Khalifa need not be obeyed. Instead, they would be ruled by accepting the verdict of the Muslim majority, for having to obey one person as a Caliph would go against the verse, the decision rests with none but Allah. The Battle of Nahrawan took place in 38 Hijri. Nahrawan is situated between Baghdad and Wasita, and here the battle ensued between Hazrat Ali and the Khawarij. Ibn Athir has written about this battle, stating that in order to reconcile during the Battle of Sifin, Hazrat Abu Musa Ashadi was appointed from Hazrat Ali's side and Hazrat Amr bin al-As was appointed from Amin Muawiyah's side as the arbitrators. In history, this incident is referred to as Tahkim. One group from the army of Hazrat Ali disputed the Tahkim. They rebelled and separated themselves and were subsequently known as the Khawarij. These Khawarij deemed the Tahkim as a sin and demanded Hazrat Ali to repent and abdicate the Khilafat. But Hazrat Ali refused outright to do such a thing. It has already been explained earlier why he refused. 
Hazrat Ali was already occupied in preparation to advance towards Syria against Amir Muawiyah. When the Khawarij began their mischievous ploys, they appointed Abdullah bin Wahab as their leader and departed from Kufa towards Nahrawan. The army of the Khawarij in Basra also gathered together and joined the army of Abdullah bin Wahab in Nahrawan. Hazrat Abdullah bin Khabbab, a companion of the Holy Prophet was killed for siding with Hazrat Ali His pregnant wife was mercilessly killed by cutting open her abdomen. They also killed three other women of the Tay tribe. When news of the situation reached Hazrat Ali, he sent Harith bin Murrah to investigate. He went to them as an emissary, but the Khawarij killed him as well. Owing to these circumstances, Hazrat Ali abandoned the thought of advancing to Syria and instead the army of approximately 65,000 which was prepared for Syria was now advancing to combat the Khawarij. When Hazrat Ali reached Nahrawan, the Khawarij were called towards reconciliation. Hazrat Abu Ayyub Ansari was handed the flag and it was announced that whoever stood beneath it would be granted refuge and they will not fight them. Having heard this announcement, 100 of the Khawarij, who numbered a total of 4,000, joined Hazrat Ali and a large number of those remaining returned to Kufa. Only 1,800 people advanced forward under the command of Abdullah bin Wahab Kharji and the battle between them and the 65,000 strong army of Hazrat Ali ensued and in which all the Khawarij were killed. According to one narration, a small amount of the Khawarij, numbering less than 10, survived. Seven people among the army of Hazrat Ali were martyred. Hazrat Amra bint Abdul Rahman relates that before Hazrat Ali departed for Basra, he visited Hazrat Umm Salama, anha, the noble wife of the Holy Prophet. She said to Hazrat Ali, Go forth with the protection of Allah the Almighty. By God, you are in the right, and the truth is with you. The Holy Prophet ﷺ instructed us to remain in our homes. Were it not for the fear of my disobeying Allah and His Messenger, I would have accompanied you. But by Allah, I send my son Umar with you, who is most beloved and dearer to me than my own self. There are accounts remaining and will be narrated in the sermon next week. I again request prayers for Ahmadis in Algeria and Pakistan. There is some good news in regards to Algeria that in recent days two courts have acquitted many Ahmadis who had been charged with false accusations. May Allah the Almighty reward those judges who have acted with justice. May Allah the Almighty also enable the administration and the judicial system who are levelling false charges against Ahmadis to act with justice. May Allah the Almighty also enable the officials in Pakistan who are moving away from justice and misusing their powers to cleanse their hearts from harbouring rancour and enmity whilst dealing with these matters.
those for whom it is destined that they will not reform themselves, then may Allah seize them swiftly and create means of ease and peace for the Ahmadis in Pakistan. The Ahmadis living in Pakistan in particular should focus on offering nawafil prayers and supplications. Among these prayers, you should particularly recite the following prayer. Rabbi kulu shayin khadimuka, Rabbi fahfazni wansurni walhamni. You should also recite, Allahumma inna naj'aluka fi nahurihim wa na'udhu bika min shirurihim. Also pay particular focus towards reciting istighfar and the durood. There is a lot of need to focus on prayers these days and also to offer the nawafil prayers. As I mentioned, may Allah the Almighty enable them to act justly and improve the conditions of the Ahmadis there. Today I shall also lead some funeral prayers after the Friday prayer. The first is of respected Humda Abbas Sahiba, the wife of Abbas Abdul Qadri Sahib Shaheed of Khairpur. She passed away on 29th of December at the age of 91. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. Her father, Dr. Muhammad Ibrahim Saib, studied in King Edward Medical College. And owing to the positive influence of an Ahmadi class fellow during his studies, he pledged allegiance at the hands of Hazrat Muslim and accepted Ahmadiyyat in 1926 along with his wife. Humda Saiba married Professor Abbas bin Abdul Qadir in Lahore in 1951, who was the grandson of Hazrat Mulana Abdul Majid Sahib, a companion of the Promised Messiah, and the son of Professor Abdul Qadir Sahib, the elder brother of Hazrat Sayyida Sara Begum Sahiba, wife of Hazrat Khalip Masih II. In 1974, her husband, Professor Abdul Qadir Sahib, was martyred in Khairpur. But she displayed outstanding steadfastness. She never showed any impatience and she was content with the will of God. Upon the martyrdom of her husband, her non-Ahmadi cousin wrote a letter of condolence to her, stating, Abbas was a very good man, if only he had passed away whilst in a state of guidance. In response to this, Humda Saiba wrote, I am proud to say that the path on which he laid down his life was the path of guidance. Humda Saiba had a very dear friend from her school days named Shafika Saiba, who coincidentally became the wife of General Ziaul Haq, President of Pakistan. After her husband had become the President, once Ziaul Haq Sahib's wife said that everyone came to meet her except for Humda. When Humda Saiba came to know of this, she said that she had no desire to meet with the wife of a person who holds such enmity towards her beloved Imam, the Promised Messiah and his community and thus she never went to meet her. She possessed a number of virtuous qualities. She had a meticulous nature, well-mannered, virtuous and sincere. She always took care of to offer her prayers and observe fasts, and she instilled the same qualities in her children. She would always be swift in offering monetary contributions and was always ready to offer charity. During the month of Ramadan, 
she would arrange for many people to open the fast at her home on a daily basis. She had a deep bond of love and connection with Khilafat. She regularly wrote letters to me by hand. Until her final days, she studied books of the Promised Messiah along with other literature of the community, including Al-Fazl. In 2006, her youngest daughter, Dr. Amra, along with her two children, passed away in a traffic accident. The deceased endured this tragedy with great forbearance and displayed an exemplary standard of patience. All of her family, friends and acquaintances, as well as her non-Ahmadi relatives, had great love for her due to her virtuous qualities. She is survived by three daughters and two sons, who live in the USA, Canada and Norway. May Allah the Almighty enable her children and progeny to continue on her virtuous deeds. And may Allah elevate her status in paradise. The next funeral is of Rizwan Sayyid Naimi Sahib, who was from Iraq. He passed away on 13th November at the age of 70. Verily to Allah you belong and to him shall we return. His son Mustafa Naimi Sahib writes, My father saw in a dream in which he was with Hazrat Sayyid Abdul Qadir Jilani rahimahullah, who gave my father one of his shoes. My father was hesitant to take it, saying that he was of no rank to be wearing the shoe of Sayyid Abdul Qadir Jilani. However, Sayyid Abdul Qadir Jilani insisted upon which my father took the shoe and wore it. Then Sayyid Abdul Qadir Jilani pointed towards a person and his community and advised my father to join them. Afterwards, Rizwan Naimi Sahib also saw the Holy Prophet in a dream. A few years later, Rizwan Sahib came to know about the Ahmadiyya community through MTA and he said that the dream in which he had seen the Holy Prophet was actually referring to the advent of his true servant, the Promised Messiah And the other dream in which he had seen Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jilani pointing towards a person and his community and advised him to join was referring to the Caliph of the Messiah and his community. Hence, he accepted Ahmadiyyat in 2012. He was a very virtuous and pious individual who would help his relatives as well as the poor. He had a passion for spreading the message of Islam, Ahmadiyyat. Despite his ill health, along with the opposition of others, he continued to propagate the message of Ahmadiyyat in his area. He always used to advise his family to accept Ahmadiyyat and join the community. Now his son, wife and brother-in-law have all accepted Ahmadiyyat. May Allah the Almighty grant them steadfastness and enable them to continue the virtues of the deceased. And may Allah the Almighty elevate the station of the deceased. The next funeral is of Malik Ali Muhammad Sahib, who is from Hajka in the district of Sargoda. He was the father of Muhammad Afsal Zafar Sahib, a missionary serving in Kenya. He passed away on 20th of August at the age of 90. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He had the honor of being a prisoner in the way of Allah in 1974. He held a great deal of respect for the workers, life devotees, missionaries and muallimin of the community. He was regular in offering the tahajjud prayers as well as salat and observing fasts. He was very hospitable and took care of the poor. He was forbearing and content and always treated his relatives with kindness. He was a virtuous and sincere individual. 
He was regular in reciting the Holy Quran and he was also able to teach many children the Holy Quran. He is survived by three sons and eleven grandchildren. As I mentioned, his son respected Muhammad Afzal Zafar Sahib is serving as a missionary in Kenya and due to his responsibilities in the field there, he was unable to attend the funeral or the burial of his father. May Allah the Almighty grant him patience and forbearance. May he treat the deceased with mercy and forgiveness and elevate his station in paradise. The next funeral is of Ehsan Ahmed Sahib from Lahore, son of Shafqat Mahmood Sahib. He passed away on 27th of July at the age of 35 years due to the complications from the coronavirus. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He was the paternal grandson of Hazrat Molvi Nuruddin Ajmal Sahib from Goliki in the district of Gujarat, who was a companion of the Promised Messiah. He was also the maternal grandson of Irshad Ahmed Sahib of Gujarwala. For the past two years, he was serving as the local president of the Rajna Town Jamaat in Lahore. Apart from this, he also served as a secretary for the new converts under the Delegate region. He had a particular passion for propagating the message of Islam Ahmadiyyat, and by the grace of Allah, he had the honour that through him eight individuals accepted Ahmadiyyat. He is survived by his wife, two sons, Hanan Ahmad Masroor, who is six years old, and Mubin Ahmad Tahir, who is three years old, along with one daughter, Saida Ahmad, who is five years old, as well as his parents, three brothers and two sisters. May Allah the Almighty grant them all patience and forbearance and be the protector of these children and enable them to continue the virtuous deeds of their father. May he elevate the station of the deceased in paradise. The next funeral is of respected Riyazuddin Sham Sahib, who is the youngest son of Mulana Jalaluddin Sham Sahib. He passed away on 27th of May. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. His family background is that he was the paternal great-grandson of Hazrat Mia Muhammad Siddiq Sahib, a companion of the Promised Messiah Islam. He was the paternal grandson of Hazrat Mia Imamuddin Sahib Sikhwani, the maternal grandson of Hazrat Khwaja Abdullah Sahib, and the son of Hazrat Mulana Jalaluddin Sahib Shams, all of whom were companions of the Promised Messiah Islam. The deceased was a Musi and is survived by two daughters and one son. May Allah the Almighty grant his children patience and forbearance. His wife had already passed away before him. May Allah treat the deceased with forgiveness and mercy and elevate his station in paradise. His brother Muniruddin Sham Sahib says that the deceased possessed many virtuous qualities. He was regular in offering the prayers and always advised his children to do the same. He had a great bond of love for Khilafat and would always have conversations at home about remaining attached to Khilafat. Two years ago when he was ill, he came here to meet me and despite his illness, he displayed great patience and resolve and was in high spirits. If he was worried, it was only regarding his daughters, but not about himself. Everyone had the same impression of him, which was that no matter the circumstances, he would always be seen smiling and he was known to meet everyone with great affection and would be very supportive in both times of ease and hardship. May Allah the Almighty treat the deceased with forgiveness and mercy and elevate his station in paradise. Alhamdulillah, 